0: Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Today, for our episode of Stem Cells at Lunch Digested, I have the pleasure of interviewing Professor Manuel Salmeron Sansers, the head of the Division of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Glasgow. Before joining the University of Glasgow, Manuel was a full professor at the Technical University of Valencia and a visiting professor at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Manuel works on material-based strategies to engineer tissue repair and regeneration and I'm sure he will be telling us all about it. Hello, nice to have you here with us for the podcast today. Uh, First of all, I would like to ask you what do you do at your lab?
1: Okay, so in, in the lab, we, we do different things, but we are basically mm, biomedical engineers, and we try to mm, engineer, and by engineer I mean fabricate uh, different environments or microenvironments, or we can call them biomaterials, with different properties so that we want to control the behavior of stem cells based on how these materials are designed. And we have different properties that we have... We we can have some sort of control, like how stiff these materials are or the chemical nature of the materials and then how can we incorporate into these materials biologically active molecules, all that seeking to have a good control of stem cell behavior, including differentiation or cell renewal.
0: So do you have... Um, any plans on translating the research you're doing at the lab into the clinics?
1: Yes, yeah, so being being a, a biomedical engineering lab, we have basic projects, but we have also certain applications also. We, we are currently working, for example, on how can we grow bone in the lab. Bone regeneration is one of our main targets. We have projects which are more aimed to understand disease, like for example, migration in cancer, so where well, we can reproduce in the lab more um, physiologically relevant models of tumors, and then we can study cell migration under very well-controlled conditions. And then we can address, for, for example, something that is quite, quite standard and quite general for any reactive medicine strategy, like the formation of blood vessels, based on the properties of the materials of the microenvironment that we design.
0: So what, because you are planning on translating this research, what do you find as the most hard task on the work you're currently doing?
1: I mean, translational work is, is I, I don't know if it's um, harder than basic science. It's definitely different. And as as soon as you start thinking of moving some important result into clinical applications, for me it's it's difficult first to establish connections with industry because it's it's complicated. I mean, once even if you have an amazing result in the lab that you have uh, even patented and have a, a very good paper on it, and you know that it has the potential to help other people with uh, medical problems, you still need a huge amount of uh, resources to translate this result into a real clinical application. And to do that, um, you need the support of industry because in the end they are going to be the ones who are going to help with the translation and with all the the um, regulatory aspects of the problem. So there is a sort of a valley that... Uh, it's difficult to to address and it's difficult to jump starting from academia.
0: And now back to the people that work at your lab. How multidisciplinary is your group and what is the background of those PhD students that usually join your lab?
1: So our group by nature is, is very, very much multidisciplinary. We have... Uh, I mean, even if we are... Based in a more uh, engineering environment, we, as a biomedical engineering department, uh, we have people with background in engineering and materials engineering and material science. We have also uh, students who are more properly biomedical engineers, and that per se is a combination of skills. But then we have a lot of uh, biologists. We have people with a background in in biotechnology as well. And we are starting to have people who are actually medical or clinical trainees who have an interest in research as well. And that's extremely useful in particular for our more translational projects. So we are are currently a couple of them in the lab who are uh, medical doctors by training, but they are interested in, for example, I mean um starting with a master's degree and then maybe move, thinking of moving towards a PhD while they are doing their uh medical training. And that's that's particularly useful because they give us with provide us with a with a vision of clinical problems that we f- with for all the other uh backgrounds, either more engineering or biology or physical chemistry we don't have. So it's it's very multidisciplinary and very interesting.
0: Um, so, a bit back on the biology of the work that you're actually doing at the lab. Um, you're working with fibronectin on ER polymers. Um, why did you pick fibronectin over the other adhesion molecules? Um, and if you could elaborate a bit more on the, the basic research you do.
1: So, we, we used fibronectin and, and other molecules and... It's true that we are uh, very much focused on fibronectin now, not only because it's an important molecule uh, in many tissues and is one of the main components of the natural extracellular matrix, but also because we have found a family of materials which are able to control fibronectin very precisely. So cells in the body or in in the lab uh, control the extracellular matrix. They have a, a good control, which is a very complicated biological process involving integrins and the actin cytoskeleton and reorganization of, of integrins and the membrane to assemble the extracellular matrix. And we have, we can do similar processes in the lab without having any cell involved. It's basically because of the properties of these materials and the properties of fibronectin. Fibronectin is able to self assemble if we provide this molecule with the adequate stimulus and um, we have we have the resources to do that and and we are very excited that we can using just let's say bioengineering control assembly of fibronectin and this means in a certain way uh, to control how we in vitro can uh, promote the formation of extracellular matrices, and then tissues.
0: How do you plan to validate your in vitro results in in, in vivo? Is your lab just focused on in vitro experiments, but uh, is there a parallel you're doing in vivo, or um, how does that work?
1: So when, when we want to move uh, our basic research uh, forward, and we need in vivo models, of course, and we in the lab and with other collaborators, we we have the resources to 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 do some sort of uh, in vivo work. Uh, for example, for this project on bone regeneration, in the end, if you want to check if bone has been uh, successfully formed or not, even if we can have all sort of mineralization experiments in the lab or stem cell differentiation in the lab. We need to show that if you have, for example, a critical size defect, that bone grows based on the material that we have designed. So we have some facilities to do this, and we rely a lot on different different collaborators to work towards more sophisticated in vivo models.
0: So what was the first trigger to drive you in becoming a research leader at the biomaterial uh, sciences?
1: I think the first trigger was uh, just curiosity. I think most of the research that we do, and that's the nice thing about being in academia, even if we have clear translational aims in the end and we want to do practical research, I think we've done a lot, and we still do quite a lot of curiosity-driven research. And I think that's, that's the starting point to have uh, n- novel approaches and to have people excited about what they do in the lab every day and also a way to mm, have n- novel research which I don't think can be obtained in any other way that is not by curiosity and motivation and I think that was the starting point and which gives me kind of going every every day.
0: So do you truly think the the next challenge in medicine is regeneration or would you propose a cha- a new challenge to the medicine in the coming decades?
1: I think that the the what is coming is I think a medicine as we understand it will necessarily have to change and there are different aspects of medicine that we can see that are not I mean we don't have the treatments and the the ways to address different uh diseases uh, nowadays but regeneration is definitely the route maybe we're still f- far away because uh for me regeneration means most of the time try to help the body to heal itself and that uh, is a complex process which I mean is Obviously, not only multidisciplinary, but also it will involve, at a certain point, a change of of paradigm of how we understand uh, health and disease, and how how do we focus on trying to restore functions that we had originally in our body that were somehow lost, using uh, novel approaches that we are all trying to understand as you do here in King's.
0: And knowing that you have been working in Europe, working in the US, now you're back in Europe, can you comment a bit on the differences of what you find about the scientific research in both countries? I
1: think Europe is um, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, variation in in Europe, independence of which region of Europe you are doing your research. I think, on the other hand, that the U.S. is a very dynamic place to do research, where everything happens very quickly, not only uh, in the lab, but also mm, it's it's very easy to establish collaborations, it's very easy to share equipment and have access to facilities I would say that the US is very dynamic on the other hand uh, the UK is is a fantastic place to do the kind of research that we do uh, obviously I'm, I'm not really from the UK I'm, I'm European uh, and I think within Europe the UK has put a lot of resources to make regenerative medicine a reality and it's a very competitive area in the world, but uh, there are different mechanisms and a lot of extremely bright people working together in this environment. So in the end, I I don't think that there is a huge uh, difference between if we just talk about the US and the UK. I really enjoy um, being more in, in the UK is, that's more a personal feeling, and I think it's an excellent environment to do this, this research.
0: And on a closing note, um, what, do, what do you think of the collaborative um, network that we are trying to establish with stem cells at lunch, trying to bring together all the stem cell leaders in the UK?
1: I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea. It's a it's a great uh, initiative. I'm I'm very glad to be here today. It's it's a way mm, to get to know people better, and f- uh, for us who who come here for a day, to know a bit better the the facilities that you've got, the, the different people that you have in here in in the center, and. Um, And I'm sure that this will lead to something else, uh, which will not be the standard, um, let's say, university seminar. But it's clearly from the beginning uh, has started with a different spirit. And I'm fully supportive. And I hope that if we've got new results to tell you, we'll be able to come back.